Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast, hosted by Dave Jenkins. The Equipping You in Grace podcast is a podcast about helping Christians develop a biblical worldview in a conversational tone about issues inside and outside the church. Now, for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. All right, guys. Well, welcome back to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show. And today we're going to talk about something that I think is really uh, neglected. I think that it's really important to talk about. It's something that we will definitely be revisiting in the very near future to talk about. And it's this, why having a good understanding of the Holy Spirit is vital. Now, you might wonder from time to time, why do I take the time to talk about foundational matters? Well, I think that, um, you know, we in the evangelical church today, we talk so much. If you go look at the top books that sell the most, they are all about a how-to approach to Christianity. It's a self-help approach to Christianity. If you do this, you will be successful. If you do this, your church will grow, and so on and so forth, and on and on. On on this podcast, and at Servants of Grace, we want to do something different. We want to help you, yes, to understand the how and to take it home and all those things, but we want you to understand the foundational matters of things, because the foundation affects how you're going to take it and how you're going to apply it And then how you're going to walk it out in your life. And so some of these episodes will be more foundational. Some of these will be more on Wednesdays will be more application oriented. And some of them will be exposing false teachers. But either way, the the foundation is important. And so this is why even when we're talking about those things, we're going to come back to the foundation because it, it is so, so vital. As I as I talk to pastor friends all across the country, they're like, I love what you're doing. Please keep it up because here's the thing. You know, they want you, your pastor wants you to get the foundational things and to build on that good foundation of solid biblical teaching and theological orthodoxy so that you can walk it out, so that you can apply it, so that you can take it to your nine to five job and live it out and work it out. Now, understanding the the ministry of the Holy Spirit, or as I've titled this episode, why having a good understanding of the Holy Spirit is vital, uh, is really, really important. Now, I, I need to say, we're not going to talk about everything in this episode about the Holy Spirit. Uh, we're going to talk about what, we're going to talk walk through John's gospel in this episode, and we're going to talk about how John... Uh, the Apostle John, how he looks at the Holy Spirit. And we're going to look at Jesus's teaching uh, to his disciples. But before we, before we do that, let's, let's give me, let me give you some context here about why this is so important, why take the time to walk through these things. And then I want to I talk about one thing that uh, uh, how the Holy Spirit is under attack before we get into John's gospel. So The Research Center at Arizona Christian University says individuals call themselves Christians are the largest of the various Christian segments evaluated and also include the broadest spectrum of theological points of view. In total, they say, uh, currently about 7 out of every 10 adults, 69%, uh, adopt the label Christian to identify their faith. Okay. That's important. They also state about the Holy Spirit, 58% contend that the Holy Spirit is not a real living being, but is a mere symbol of God's power, presence, or purity. Now, is it any wonder then that we have a huge problem in the church about the Holy Spirit? They contend that the Holy Spirit is, notice how it says, only a symbol of God's power, presence, or purity. 
They also state about the Holy Spirit, 58% contend that the Holy Spirit is not a real living being, but is merely a symbol of God's power, presence, or purity. Now, we are living in a time that we are living in a time where the Holy Spirit is actually under attack. People think that uh, instead of having the Holy Spirit in their church, they can have a fog machine or their entertainment or their lights uh, function as the Holy Spirit. But when we're talking about the Holy Spirit, we are talking about one that is God. Let Let me also say something. The Holy Spirit is not interested in your entertainment at church and whether you left happy or wealthy or you had a light or a smoke show. The Holy Spirit is interested in taking the the scripture that testifies of Christ and pointing you to Jesus from scripture so you'll grow in Christ. We are going to talk about that today. And it's also important to say this, that the Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force. He's not a cosmic genie in a bottle meant to give you what you want when you want it. We're talking about God. One, in essence, eternally existing with the Father and the Son. In fact, as we'll talk about here today in this episode, one of his primary ministries is to point Christians to Scripture and to Jesus in the Word of God. Now, there's this this video that I, I want to play for you. As I record this, There's this video has 643 thousand four hundred and thirty one views on youtube let me let me say that again this video that you're about to if you're watching this or if you're if you're listening to this this particular clip that you're about to hear it has six hundred and forty three thousand four hundred and thirty one views China, you need 16 points to win okay. i'm gonna ask you the same five questions you can do- okay Holy Spirit, activate. Oh, no. Holy oh, Spirit, no. Oh, activate. No. Holy Spirit, activate. 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 Oh. All right, let's go. 11 years has never happened before. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Holy Spirit, activate. Holy Spirit, activate. I said, Holy okay. Activate. <laughs> Come on, you can do this. Think about Hallelujah. next time you're down at the DMV. Holy Spirit, activate. <laughs> About the time you're sitting up there taking a test you ain't studied for. Holy Spirit, activate. Come on. Now, this this video that you just watched, it's fun. I mean, who doesn't like to, you know, move around a little bit and, and get excited? But this is not the Holy Spirit. We do not activate the Holy Spirit. I just said very clearly that that we're talking about God. When we're talking about the Holy Spirit. We are talking about God. God is everywhere. He's all-knowing. He's all-present. And that's the Holy Spirit. For the Christian, as as we'll see in this episode, the Christian is indwelt by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to teach them the truth of Scripture. And the Holy Spirit is going to send them out to make disciples who make disciples of Christ. So, no, we don't ever, ever activate the Holy Spirit. Now, we can have a little fun. I'm not saying that we don't have fun. You know what? <laughs> if, if you were to know me outside of this podcast and uh, Servants of Grace and uh, you were to uh, join a conversation that my wife and I would have, w- my wife and I, we, have, we are very sarcastic. Uh, we have a good time. We laugh with each other. We don't laugh at each other. We laugh with each other. We have fun. It's fun to laugh. There's nothing wrong with laughing there's nothing wrong with having a good time but there is something very wrong to be very clear in why i shared the video that particular clip with you the reason that we're talking about this is because you think about it over 640,000 people have watched a video where they are instructed to do something that the bible never says to do There is no chapter and verse, there's no scripture that says we activate the Holy Spirit. Uh, No, actually there's the opposite. When the Holy Spirit, at the moment of our conversion, at the moment when Christ, you know, comes and invades our lives and we are soundly converted, 
We are immediately indwelt with the Spirit. We are sealed with the Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit. We we have the Holy Spirit. I mean, there's so much that that I could say about that alone. There's so many passages of Scripture. Um, when when I said that there is a lot to say, there there is a lot to say. You, you go look at a systematic theology, like uh, one of, one of my favorites is by the way, um, and we've talked with uh, Dr. Joel Beakey and Paul Smalley about their series, Reformed Systematic Theology. Uh, you go read a book like that, and, and you, you learn very quickly what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit. You learn what the Reformers taught about the Holy Spirit. You learn what the Puritans taught about the Holy Spirit. And you learn why the Holy Spirit really matters. And, and you learn about it not only to understand it from Scripture, in church history, but you learn about it so that you learn about it in that book, in that systematic theology, and about how it impacts your life. The understanding the ministry of the Holy Spirit is absolutely vital. That is why we are taking the time. And you might wonder, well, why are we why are we in John's gospel to talk about talk about this? Because what Jesus does in John's gospel is he gives the most uh, extended teaching on the ministry of the Holy Spirit pretty much anywhere in the New Testament. John 14 through 16. This is Jesus' upper room discourse. This is his <coughs> this is his seminary level education with his disciples. And here he teaches on the teaches the disciples about the Holy Spirit's role in the life of the Christian. Now the gospel of John may be criticized on its structure and its genre, but it's beyond dispute that John demonstrated a deep understanding of the Old Testament. Uh, I'm going to cover three sections on the work of the Holy Spirit, the person of the Spirit, and the receiving of the Spirit. You see, it is the Holy Spirit's role in the life of the Christian to convict of sin, to glorify the person and work of Jesus, and transform believers into the image of the Lord Jesus. So first, the work of the Spirit. John 1.33. If you have your Bible, you're going to want it. You're going to want it open. Uh, to to go at these go over these passages with me. John one thirty three says this: I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, "He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit." Now the Holy Spirit descending on 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 Jesus as a dove, it's a sign of divine anointing, his divine anointing, and in the Gospels, the descent of the Spirit. Uh, as a dove was something Jesus himself witnessed in Matthew 3:16, a symbol in tandem with a voice from heaven. And here in John's gospel, the dove assumed a different role. It identifies the coming one to John the Baptist. John the Baptist had been told by God himself whom the promised Messiah would be, according to John 1:33, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain. This is he who baptizes you with the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament came upon people. He enabled them to accomplish God-given tasks. An example of this is when Isaiah predicted that the Messiah would be full of the Holy Spirit at all times in Isaiah 11.2 and 61.1, and then in Jesus' ministry uh, in his very first sermon uh, in Luke 4.18. In fact, Christians reading uh, Isaiah 11.1 saw in Jesus the fulfillment of God's promises to pour out his spirit on the coming Davidic king, on the servant of the Lord, and on the prophet figure who announces in Isaiah 61, 1, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. In fact, the visible descent of the spirit on Jesus served as the God-given sign by which the Baptist would know that this was the long-awaited coming one. The Spirit not only descends on Jesus, but he remains on him. That Jesus would baptize his people in the Holy Spirit is therefore simultaneously an attestation of who he is and an announcement of the promised age is dawning. And so for the evangelist then, the, the aspect of Jesus' baptism that suited his purpose in writing was its role in bringing the Baptist to recognize who Jesus was and therefore to hear witness specifically to him and no longer an ident- unidentified coming one. Next, let's talk about the Spirit as the giver of life. 
John 3, 6 says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. John 6, 33 says, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Now, John 3, 36 and 6, 33, which I just read to you, they view the Holy Spirit as the giver of eternal life. John 3, 6 says this, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. John 6, 33 says, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. In fact, John 3.36 and 6.33 teach that it is the Holy Spirit's work to give new life. Merrill Tenney explains, The new life of the one born of the Spirit is unexplainable by ordinary reasoning, uh, and the outcome is unpredictable. The flesh is not meant, does not mean the same thing as when Paul assigns it sinful nature. As in John 1.14, flesh refers to human nature. The point is, is that the natural human birth produces people who belong to uh, the earthly family of humankind, but not to the children of God. It is the Holy Spirit who produces the new nature, a spirit nature where spirit is related to the spirit of God and to all things divine. And so in order for those born of the flesh to experience the new birth that makes them children of God, the eternal word had to become flesh. Nicodemus should have understood the need of a God-given new birth. And God's promise that he would give his people a new heart, a new nature, clean lives, a full measure of the Spirit on the last day. And that is why Nicodemus shouldn't have been surprised when Jesus told him that he needed the new birth. He needed to be born again. And the bread of God is synonymous with the bread of heaven. The bread of God reminds God's people that this bread is the revealer. He is the one who has narrated God to his people. He's the one alone who can tell them heavenly things. The one whose word, because he is the obedient son, are nothing less than the word of God. Now let's look at John 3.8. The Spirit who sovereignly acts. John 3.8. The Spirit who sovereignly acts. John 3.8 says, The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now the sovereign character of regeneration is explained by an illustration taken from the action of the wind in John 3.8. No one can direct the wind because it acts with complete independence. The word breath or wind within the spirit of man is that immaterial principle of life within him. The Greek word phenuma and ruach mean both spirit, wind, or breath. Nicodemus was brought up with the belief that a person should save himself by perfect obedience to the law of Moses and to a host of man-made, thoroughly animizable human regulations. But Jesus is saying the opposite. He's saying that... It's the same as everyone who is born of the Spirit, because Jonah 2.9 says that salvation is of the Lord. Salvation from beginning to end and everywhere in between is of the Lord. Next, John 4.10, we'll look at the Spirit as living water. John 4.10 says, Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, and you would have asked him. And he would have given you living water. Now, Jesus uh, causes this woman to be very curious uh, in order that her respect for him may increase and the work of rescuing this soul from the fetters of sin and evil may make further progress. And while Jesus does not directly answer the woman's question, he doesn't ignore it either. He shows that the question she asked is based on an erroneous presupposition. And so the woman proceeds from the assumption that you, a Jew, are needy and helpless, and I, a Samaritan woman, am self-sufficient and thereby able to supply your need. And so Jesus, by his answer, shows her that, that she is the one who needs the water that only he can provide. In fact, Jesus' words about living water involve double meaning. As the phrase refers to fresh spring water, John 7, 38-39 identifies this living water as the Holy Spirit dwelling within a believer. And so when Jesus speaks about living water, he means spring water, which bubbles up by itself in distinction from rainwater, which must be collected in a cistern or a reservoir. And so the metaphor speaks of God and his grace, the knowledge of God, life, the transforming work of the Holy Spirit, 
in Isaiah 1, 16 uh, through 18, in Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27, all promise uh, water cleansing. In John's gospel, there are passages where Jesus is living water as he is the bread from heaven in John 6.35. In other passages where he gives the living water to Christians. And in this chapter, the water is a satisfying eternal life mediated by the Spirit and that only through Jesus the Messiah and, uh, and Savior of the world can alone provide. Next, let's look at John uh, 4.23-24, worshiping in spirit and in truth. John 4, 23 through 24 says this, But the hour is coming and now is now here when true worshipers will worship uh, the, the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And the verb, will worship in the fourth gospel, uh, never, never means with will respect. Uh, worship worthy of the name of Jesus operates from a clear and a definitive knowledge of God derived from the revelation of his word. Worshiping the Lord in spirit and truth, it means rendering homage to God so that the entire heart enters into the act and in so doing brings uh, it in full harmony with the truth of God as revealed in the word of God. And so such worship will not only be spiritual instead of physical, but it will be directed to the true God as set forth in the word of God and as displayed in the work of redemption. And so some think that doctrinal soundness today is of little importance. Some, some think that a, a humble, a spiritual attitude means little. Genuine worshipers of God, those who are born again, will worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. For such are, are the very people whom the Father is seeking as his worshipers, because the Father keeps on intensely yearning for his elect in order to make them worshipers. The seeking of the Father is always saving. Luke 19.10 says that Jesus is aiming to seek and to save the lost because it is God who takes the initiative in the work of salvation, never man. And so the necessity for distinctly spiritual worship is rooted in the very being of God himself, which means that genuine worshipers, friends, must worship him in spirit and in truth. In fact, the expression of the true worshiper does not make a distinction between worshipers after the ministry of Jesus, the, the true worshipers, and those before the ministry of Jesus, before, uh, presumably the false worshipers. True worshipers will worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. Now let's look at, uh, flip a few more pages over uh, from John 4 to John 15, uh, verse 26. John 15, verse 26. Uh, this section is, I have a title, The Spirit of Truth Comes, Testifying of Christ, the Helper. In John 15, 26, is the Holy Spirit, whom I will send. It indicates that the Holy Spirit will come in new power into the world in obedience to God the Son. Our text says, but, but who proceeds from the Father? It indicates that the Holy Spirit will come in obedience to the direction of God the Father. Both the Father and the Son sent the Spirit into the world in a new fullness at Pentecost, Acts 2 tells us. He will bear witness about me. It reminds believers that when they bear witness about Christ, the Holy Spirit is working silently and invisibly through their words. Jesus has been speaking about the hatred with which the disciples will have to endure from the world which hates the Father and the Son. And hence, it is not surprising that in this connection, he again comforts these men by reminding them of his previous promise in John 14, 16 through 17 and John 14, 26, with respect to the coming of the Spirit, the Helper. Uh, Jesus himself will send the Helper. He will be sent from the Father. And so, though, though with difference in emphasis, this is a, the same as saying what it says in John 14, 6, which says, I will request the Father and he will give you another Helper. The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, John 14, 26 says. And so here in John 15, 26, the emphasis is on the activity of the Son and sending of the Spirit and on the fact that the Spirit proceeds eternally from the Father. 
And so the sending of the Spirit was a matter of, of the future as Pentecost had not yet arrived. And hence the future tense is used, I will send. The procession was taking place at the very moment when Jesus was speaking. Hence, the present tense is used. And so the Holy Spirit in John 14, 17 is called the Spirit of Truth. The Holy Spirit testifies against the world and to mankind's need. That Spirit is testifying. In the midst of the wicked world, he's going to testify to the truth about Christ. In the midst of the church, he will comfort the church. Whenever a servant of God bears uh, witness against the world, this witness is a work of the Spirit. Whenever a believer, whenever a Christian, by word and example, draws others to Christ, this is also the work of the Spirit. The Spirit always testifies in connection with the Word, the Word of Christ. And the world is openly hostile to the person and the work of Christ and will not receive Him. And from among those who are hostile to the truth of Jesus, some will be transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the Lord Jesus. One example of this is the fierce persecutor Saul of Tarsus, right? Acts 9, the Spirit changed him to become a zealous missionary for the Lord Jesus. The, the Holy Spirit glorifies himself through the salvation of persecutors like Saul, who he turned into Paul, and many others who come to see the truth and the beauty and the glory of Christ. This is what the Holy Spirit is aiming to do. He, he is not interested in, in some other revelation. He's not interested in adding to the revelation given. No, we have 66 books that constitute the word of God. God is not talking today. He is not giving additional revelation as in scriptural revelation. He is, we do not need a more, have a need for more words and dreams and visions and prophecies and so on and so forth. We have these 66 books that constitute the Word of God. That, that is why if you want to hear from God, read the Word. If you want to hear from God out loud, read the Word out loud. Then the Holy Spirit will take the Word of God, the Scriptures that testify of Christ, and he will use it. He will use it. That, that is why you and I, that is why we are to be faithful to the word of God, to the revealed word of God, to the 66 books that are in the word of God, the 39 books in the Old Testament, the 27 in the New. We are to be faithful, faithful. And by the way, unless you have the whole Bible memorized, which very, very few people do, Guess what? You still have a need for the Bible. And even if you do have it all memorized, you don't know all of its depths. You can't plumb its depths. Even, even the most, even the world's most educated biblical scholar still only knows a sliver, a sliver, a tiny fraction. Although that fraction is infinitely greater than, say, the average person in the pew. But even them, even the most educated biblical scholar hasn't mined the absolute depths, plumbed the, the endless ocean of, of treasure that is in the 66 books of the Word of God. And so we, not, only, not only by the fact that God has given us His Word and that his, the canon is closed, but also that, that God uses His Word, uh, uses us as, as instruments of His Word, uh, to to faithfully proclaim the glories of Christ, and then the Holy Spirit uses our preaching of Christ to exalt the Lord Jesus and to draw sinners to Christ and to make disciples, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. I mean, are you kidding me? This should give. This is such an immense comfort uh, to the to us as Christians. We need to trust and to be faithful to the word, and then trust the Spirit to open eyes, to equip saints, to be about the work of ministry. We, we faithfully proclaim to the lost, to, to one another, and then we trust that the Spirit will use the word to bring about transformation, to bring about, well, transformation in Christians and, and salvation in non-Christians, bring them to Christ. We need to trust that. And, and, and as we get that, I mean, it is such 
so freeing. I can tell you, so freeing just to be faithful to the word and then trust the spirit to use the word. I can't, I can't even tell you. It's an amazing, an amazing thing. And it'll help you to just trust the Lord, you know, in the midst of evangelizing to family and difficult people, just to be faithful to the word. Trust the spirit. The spirit will use it in his own time, in his own way. It may not be how you want it to be done, but the Spirit will use the Word to glorify Christ. Mm. There's so much that we can say about that right there. But John uh, 16, 7 through 14, the section I, I've called the Spirit as the advantageous helper. Now, Jesus going away on John 16, 7 is, is really important because when he was on earth, Jesus, he, he could only be in one place at a time. But when he died and he rose again, the Holy Spirit would carry on his ministry over the entire world at all times. In addition, in God's sovereign plan for the unfolding of history, the Holy Spirit would not come in new covenant power and fullness until Jesus returned to heaven. And so the helper refers back to the anticipation of the pouring out of the Spirit and the inauguration of the kingdom spoken in the Old Testament prophetic literature. Dr. Kostenberger suggested the term helping presence more accurately captures the term parkletos, a reference to the Holy Spirit as helper in the Gospel of John. He will convict the world in John 16.8 gives hope that many who are in the world and currently opposed to Christ will not be part of the world forever, but will repent of their sins and believe on Christ. In fact, the world refuses to believe on him. The Spirit convicts the world of its sinful condition, that is, the fact that it stands guilty before God. Through the work of witnessing, which will be carried on by the apostles and their followers, the Holy Spirit will not only lay bare the world's sin, but in the case of some will awaken a consciousness of guilt, which leads to true repentance. From Acts 22, 22-41, Acts 7, 51-57, uh, Acts 9, 1 through 7, 1 Corinthians 14, 24, 2 Corinthians 2, 5, 15 through 16, Titus 1, 13. One learns that in some cases the result will be conversion. In other words, in others, the hardening of everlasting punishment. And though the world in general continues to persecute the church, there's going to be millions of people throughout the course of history who are awakened to their sin and their guilt and their need of Christ. And as a result of the sovereign operation of the grace of God, men from every tribe, nation, tongue, and people will believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And when the Holy Spirit, through the preaching of the gospel, convicts men of their sin, a considered number of them will cry out as they did in Acts 7.37, Brethren, what shall we do? Uh, they will feel that the essence of their sin, the one gr sin, great sin which embraces all others for those who have never heard the gospel is this, that they have not accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, but have in fact rejected them. Because I go to the Father in John 16, 10 means that Jesus will no longer be in the world to teach about true righteousness. And so the Holy Spirit will come to carry on that function through illumination. And through the words of believers who bear witness to the gospel. And because the, the ruler of this world is judge, can also be has judged, because the perfect tense verb karakitai, it, it has this sense of has been judged and continues in the state resulting from that judgment. The spirit of truth in John 6.13, it means that the Holy Spirit leads into the whole body of redemptive revelation. And since only God knows the future, the things to come, it highlights the full deity of the Holy Spirit. Remember, I said that the Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force. He is not a cosmic genie in the bottle that, that gives you what you want because you rubbed a, a, a golden lamp and, and poof, out comes the Holy Spirit like Aladdin. No, 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 no. That's not what the Holy Spirit is. He's not giving you your list, your, your long, protracted list of, of what you want when you want it. He is, he is God. He operates, the Holy Spirit does, in accordance with the Father and the Son, and according to the revealed revelation of the Word of God. Remember, I just said that in John 16, 13, the Spirit of truth means that the Holy Spirit leads into the whole body of, of the word of God. The Holy Spirit is not working outside of scripture. That's what Jesus is saying. 
He works within the confines of Scripture to point people to the truth of Scripture and to Jesus from the Word of God. And the fact, the point, just to make this point even more clear, in in the point in, in John 16, 14 through 15 is that the Holy Spirit will glorify the Son. The Holy Spirit will take that which is Christ, the very substance of his teaching regarding the purpose of redemption, the manner of salvation, and so on and so forth, and will enlarge on it. Whatever Christ has done, is doing, will do for the church is a theme of the Holy Spirit's teaching. And that is what takes us back at the beginning of this, this, this episode of Equipping You in Grace. This takes us back to the very beginning. That the, what this means is that the Holy Spirit doesn't need to be activated. He is God. God doesn't need to be activated. That's blasphemy. That's heresy, by the way. And, and by the way, when we when we talk about air, we're talking about something that is outside of Scripture. Heresy is something that is not only outside the bounds of the Bible; it's also outside of. of or of orthodoxy as defined by the council and the creeds. This is heresy. And we are 643,000 people are moving, you know, to that Holy Spirit activate song. And, and they're taking it in. Now, let, let me just say, as I said, you know, my wife and I, we like to have fun. There's nothing wrong with it. Laughter is good medicine. The Proverbs talk about that. But, you know... We're supposed to, we're supposed to expose. Uh, Ephesians five eleven tells us that we're supposed to the works of darkness, and this is a work of darkness. And, and I want to come back, and I want to say something here about this because it's not only we're walking through texts of scripture, but you know, as as this podcast is reformed, we as reformed people, we have we have the best teaching on the Holy Spirit, you know. Uh, coming from the reformers, men like John Calvin was was called. You may not know this, but many do. So um, take the, if you already know this, then you you likely know what I'm about to say. But many of you might not know that John Calvin was actually considered a theologian of the Holy Spirit. His teaching on the Holy Spirit is awesome. Uh, John Owen's teaching on the Holy Spirit amazing. Uh, I strongly encourage you to check that the both men out on the Holy Spirit now. A word about John Owen. <laughs> if you've never read John Owen, he is incredibly dense and incredibly deep. He, he, he is arguably, I would say, one of, uh, if not the top three deepest theologians that the church has ever produced. You know, and uh, that means that if you've never waded through a really heavy, dense material, theology material, you, you might be bored by reading John Owen. But it is so worth it. There is... There is treasure there in Owen's work. There's gold. I, I cannot say enough about John Owen, especially, you know, on the life of the Christian growing in grace and so much more. I mean, I, I, I strongly encourage you to check out John Owen and his work on the Holy Spirit is so vital. But the point here is that the Reformers and the Puritans were were diving into the Word of God. They were they were dealing and expositing biblical passages, and they again and again and again uh, would do that, and then dr- helpfully draw out the theology from the text, and and then what it meant practically for us. And um, they were masters at that. The Reformers and the Puritans were masters at doing that. But let's talk now about the person of the Holy Spirit. John 14, 6, I've titled this, uh, An Everlasting Comforter. The person of the Holy Spirit refers to the attributes of emotion, will, volition, intelligence, sensibility, and personality, which relate to humanity. John 14, 17 makes it clear that the helper spoken of in John 14, 16 is the Spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit is not merely a power, but a person. Just like the Father and the Son, he is another helper, not a different helper. And so the word another, it indicates one like myself who will take my place, who will do my work. And hence, if Jesus is a person, the Holy Spirit must be a person. Personal attributes are everywhere ascribed to him. His relation to the Father and the Son is ascribed of such a character that if these are persons, he too must be a person. In fact, if Jesus is divine, the Spirit too must be divine. Divine attributes are, are ascribed to the Holy Spirit, such as eternity, 
omnipresence, omnipotence, omniscience. And divine works are predicted of him. And they make it clear that the three persons are completely equal. One and the same divine essence pervades all. The Holy Spirit is given by the Father in answer to the request of the Son. The Holy Spirit proceeds from both the Father and the Son. The, the Father gives him, the Son sends him. He is the Spirit of the Father. He is also the Spirit of Christ. The Holy Spirit is the person in whom the Father and the Son meet one another. Moreover, he is everywhere. Uh, the economical trinity rests on the ontological, the Spirit's outpouring on the day of Pentecost, to which the present passage refers, rests upon his eternal uh, procession. Both of these are the work of the Father and the Son. The Spirit in John 14, 16 is called another paraclete, a term meaning to be called to the side in order to help. The Father and the Son called the Spirit to the side of the of the disciples in order to comfort, uh, to teach, to guide them. In other words, in order that in any given condition, the paraclete may furnish whatever help is necessary. And so Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to not only comfort, to teach, to guide believers in all the truth of the word of God, but to send them out on mission to proclaim the gospel to further the kingdom of God. And so not only are, are Jesus and the, his disciples sent, in John's gospel, but so also is the Spirit sent. The Spirit comes to represent and to carry on Jesus' work. John 14, 17. I've titled this section, The Spirit of Truth, Indwelling God's People. And so Jesus taught his followers that the world cannot receive him because they cannot see or even know him, John 14, 17. Now, the, the world cannot receive the truth about Jesus because it follows Satan's lies. The world cannot see him or even know him because it fails to uh, acknowledge the work of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit guides his people into the truth, which is embodied in Christ and in his, the redemption that he alone provides. And the words, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you, are intimate. They're relational. According to Augustine, Christ dwelt physically with his disciples through the Holy Spirit, but also in an invisible way, as he explains on John 14, 17, that nor can we have knowledge of him unless he be in us. Jesus knows the elect, those who are his, because he has opened their eyes to the truth of who he is and what he has done in his, in his life, death, resurrection, and ascension, and he now indwells them with the Holy Spirit, granting them an everlasting, intimate relationship with God through the person and work of Christ alone. John 14, 26, I've titled this section, The Teacher and the Reminder of Christ. John 14, 26 says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. A comparison between John 14, 26, whom the Father will send in my name, and John 15, 26, whom I will send to you from the Father, makes it clear that the sending of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost in Acts 2 is ascribed to both the Father and the Son. And so the promise here is the first uh, contains two elements. Everything are all things and being re reminded of everything. First, the Spirit will teach you everything that is necessary, not only for your salvation, but here specifically for the work of witnessing. And second, the Spirit will remind you of everything that I myself have said to you. And by means of, of these, Jesus Christ is fulfilling his prophetic office, first on earth and then from heaven. And so the, the, the two everything should be viewed as concrete circles, for also by means of recalling the old, everything that I myself said to you, the Spirit would be teaching the new. It must be borne in mind that between the time when Jesus uttered these words and the moment when the Holy Spirit was poured out, there occurred the following significant events. Christ's crucifixion, his resurrection, his ascension, and his coronation. The Holy Spirit teaches, teaches believers about the truth about Jesus and, and drills them uh, into a deeper understanding of what they have received in the Word of God. That, that's why we don't need any additional revelation today, uh, unlike what uh, the New Apostolic Reformation wants you to believe. We do not need to activate the Holy Spirit we, we don't need additional revelation. The Holy Spirit works through the, the word of God. That is why I said, if you want to hear God speak out loud today, read your Bible. Um, and if you want to hear him speak out loud, 
read the Bible out loud. That is why I, I said what I did earlier. Now, let's talk about, in this section, the receiving of the Holy Spirit. John 20, 19 through 23, I've titled this section, The Spirit is Received. Now, some people take the, the doors being locked in John 20, 19 to mean that Jesus miraculously passed through the door of the walls of the, of the, of the room, even though the text does not explicitly state this. It's better to see this passage as teaching that Jesus literally came and stood before in their midst. John 20, 21 through 22 contains John's great commission uh, here, which serves as a culmination of the entire gospel uh, presentation of Jesus as the one sent from the Father. The sent one, Jesus has now become the sender, commissioning his followers to serve as his messengers and representatives. And so now all three persons of the Godhead are involved in the commissioning. As the Father sent Jesus, and so Jesus sent his disciples, equipping them with the Holy Spirit. And so when Jesus breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit, it's best understood as a foretaste of what would happen when the Holy Spirit was given at Pentecost in Acts 2. This does not mean that the Holy Spirit had no presence in the disciples' lives prior to this point. You see, the work of the Holy Spirit, as described in John's Gospel, is grounded in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit is the one who convicts of sin, he glorifies the person and the work of Jesus, and he transforms believers into the image and likeness of the Lord Jesus. In fact, the Holy Spirit convicts people of their sin and points them towards Jesus in order that they may have with confidence, Hebrews 4.16 says, draw near to the throne of grace to receive mercy and find grace in time of need. And, and so in this episode, we've examined the person and the work of receiving the Holy Spirit who acts sovereignly to give life and dwells and teaches uh, God's people in order to deepen their understanding of the person and the work of Jesus and then sends them out to testify of the glory of Christ. John has intentionally demonstrated in his gospel a view of the Holy Spirit that is relational, it's personal, it's intimate one who longs to bring new life into those who come to Jesus and sanctify the beloved in the word by the washing them with the sanctifying power of the word of God. For further study in the, in the, in the Gospel of John, you, you should consider exploring the Greek word parkleta and the seven I am statements. In fact, concerning the Holy Spirit, for further study, one, one should consider studying uh, John's view of the Holy Spirit with that of the book of Acts and his understanding and his use of the Old Testament in his gospel. Scholars of John have long noted that John is an artist. He weaves his story with an increasing intensity and passion to get his readers to understand who Jesus is, what he's done, and what he now demands. John's gospel is a never-ending oasis that beckons Christians to study it in order to help teach, help teach them to grow in the truth, the beauty, and the glory of Christ. God's people, through the work of the Holy Spirit, are enabled to know and make known the supremacy of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, guys, I know that this episode has been a lot, but here's the thing to say, just to go back to it. The Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force. The Holy Spirit is, full, is God. He is deserving of honor and respect, and he is, he is one with the Father and the Son, and they are all, the Trinity is working to bring about the salvation of the sinner and to help uh, the, God's people and the church to be strengthened in the word and in the knowledge of the word and in the grace of God revealed in the word. And so we do not need to activate the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. He is at work in the life of God's people. He is at work in, in drawing sinners to salvation through the preached word of God, that they might come to know Christ alone. And so we can trust, as we are, as we are faithful with the word, the 66 books that God has given, we, we can trust that the Spirit will take our faithful preaching of God's word, and he will use it, whether we're preaching from the pulpit or we're doing one-on-one -on -one discipleship or we're sharing Christ, or we're engaging in apologetics, or we're doing a podcast, or we're writing a book, or we're writing an article. Be faithful to the Word, because the, the Spirit will use your faithful biblical work, and, and your adhering to sound orthodoxy. He will then carry it out, and He will use it in the life of people, whether that's one person, two people, or millions of people. God, 
God will be honored by your faithfulness and God will use your faithful teaching and preaching of the word. So friends, let's be faithful and then let's let's trust and let's pray that 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 the word would be carried forth and we are so thankful right for Isaiah 55 because we know that the word of God will never return without void because this is what we're talk been talking about today. The word will be carried forth uh, the Holy Spirit uses the word and so we can trust the spirit to take the word, the faithful word preached and declared, written about, talked about on podcast or whatever and whatever your ministry is, uh, even in a one-on-one conversation or so on and so forth, you can trust. If you're faithful to the word, guess what? God's going to use your faithfulness, and he is going to, in his time, it'll bear fruit for God's glory. So let us pray, and let us be faithful brothers and sisters in Christ to the revealed word of God in Scripture. Well, I want to thank you for listening or watching this episode of Equipping You in Grace. Uh, for more, please check us out at, at servantsofgrace.org. Uh, you can go on the homepage there. You can click on Equipping and Grace for f- uh, more episodes like this one. Or check out some of our other podcasts. For Life and Godliness is one. I also, on Thursdays, answer theology questions. Or uh, There you'll also find a series through the book of Psalms that I'm doing. The first uh, 41 Psalms. I encourage you to check out our articles, our magazine, Theology for Life. Well, I want to thank you for listening or watching this episode of Equipping and Grace. Until next Monday. Thank you for listening to the Equipping You and Grace podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate us on the app, and share this with your friends and family on social media. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Servants of Grace, on Instagram at Servants of Grace, or by searching at Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this episode and many others like it on the front page of our website, servantsofgrace.org.